chapter four part one of the ordeal of mark twain this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the ordeal of mark twain by van wick brooks chapter four in the crucible part one Quote, the american proposes to realize his individuality freely and fully but so long as he is master of his person and free to choose he considers himself satisfied willingly consenting that some other person better qualified or more competent should choose in his place from the instant when he can do what he will he easily wills what he is asked to will gustave rodriguez the people of action recollect now the mood in which mark twain went west to the gold fields of nevada the mood of a regular fellow was it not one that exposed him in a peculiar sense to the contagion of the gilded age for weeks after he reached carson city he played about in the woods too full of the enjoyment of camp life to build the fence about a timber claim which he and a comrade had located he was out for a good time oblivious of everything else and with all the unconsciousness of a child a moralist would have said that the devil had already marked him out for destruction recollect how on the river mark twain had impressed his confreres of the wheel the pilots regarded him as a great reader a student of history travels literature and the sciences a young man whom it was an education as well as an entertainment to know now in nevada says mr paine his hearers generally regarded him as an easy-going indolent good fellow with a love of humor with talent perhaps but as one not likely ever to set the world afire does not that suggest a certain disintegration of the spirit we infer this in any case from the sudden change in his personal appearance always a sort of barometric symptom in mark twain's life lately a river sovereign and dandy in fancy percals and patent leathers in white duck and striped shirts he had become the roughest of rough-clad miners in rusty slouch hat flannel shirts coarse trousers slopping half in and half out of the heavy cowskin boots merely you imagine the natural change in dress that any gold seeker would have made no he went even further than others and became a sort of paragon of disarray an unmistakable surrender of the pride and consciousness of his individuality and whoever doubts the significance of this may well compare the tone of his utterances as a pilot 
with such characteristic notes of his nevada life as this if i were not naturally a lazy idle good-for-nothing vagabond i could make journalism pay me twenty thousand dollars a year but i don't suppose i shall ever be any account the reversion to that earlier frame of mind in short had not made this man who was approaching thirty a boy again it made him behave like a boy it made him half the time feel like a boy but it revealed in him nevertheless the indisputable signs of a certain dereliction from some path of development his nature had commanded him to follow the artist in him had lost its guiding line he was broken down again just as he had been after his father's death his spirit had become plastic once more he was ready in a word to take the stamp of his new environment now whatever was true of america during the gilded age was doubly true of nevada where as mr Payne says all human beings regardless of previous affiliations and convictions were flung into the common fusing pot and recast into the general mold of pioneer life in the gold fields was in fact an infinite intensification of pioneering it was a sort of furnace in which all the elements of human nature were transmuted into a single white flame an incandescence of the passion of avarice if we are to accept mark twain's description in roughing it of the flush times in virginia city we can see that the spirit of the artist had about as good a chance of survival and development there as a butterfly in a blazing chimney virginia had grown to be the livest town for its age and population that america had ever produced the sidewalks swarmed with people the streets themselves were just as crowded with quartz wagons freight teams and other vehicles joy sat on every countenance and there was a glad almost fierce intensity in every eye that told of the money-getting schemes that were seething in every brain and the high hope that held sway in every heart money was as plenty as dust there were military companies fire companies brass bands banks hotels theaters hurdy-gurdy houses wide-open gambling palaces political powwows civic processions street fights murders inquests riots a whiskey mill every fifteen steps a dozen breweries and half a dozen jails and station houses in full operation and some talk of building a church the flush times were in magnificent flower the great comstock load stretched its opulent length straight through the town from north to south and every mine on it was in diligent process of development 
this was the spirit of mark twain's new environment a spirit inflexibly opposed as we can see to the development of individuality had mark twain been free it might have been a matter of indifference to him he might have gone his own way and amused himself with the astonishing spectacle of the gold-fields and then taken himself off again but mark twain was not free he was on the contrary bound in such a way that far from being able to stand aloof from his environment he had to make terms with it for what obligations had he not incurred to become such a conventional citizen as his father would have approved of to make money and restore the fallen fortunes of his family that old pledge was fixed in the back of his mind where it had been confirmed by his failure to discover and assert any independent principle of his own furthermore he now had his own financial record to live up to it was the lucrativeness and prestige of the pilot's career that had originally enabled him to adopt it and we know what pride he had had in his great triumph in being a somebody at last his brother orion had considered it a disgrace to descend to the trade of printing they were gentlemen's sons these clemenses he had had in short a chance to exercise and educate his creative instinct while at the same time doing what was expected of him and now when he had lost his guiding line more was expected of him than ever his salary at twenty-three on the river had been two hundred fifty dollars a month a vastly greater income certainly than his father had ever earned at once and of course we are told he had become owing to this fact the head of the clemens family his brother orion was ten years older says mr paine but he had not the gift of success by common consent the young brother assumed permanently the position of family counselor and financier these circumstances i say compelled mark twain to make terms with public opinion he could not fall too far behind the financial pace his piloting life had set for him he was bound to recover the prestige that had been his and to shine once more as a conspicuous and important personage he had to make good again quickly and spectacularly that was a duty which had also become a craving how strongly he felt it we can see from one of his nevada letters in which he declares earnestly that he will never look upon his mother's face again or his sister's or get married or revisit the banner state until he is a rich man what chance was there now for the artist in mark twain to find itself a unique opportunity had led him for four years into the channel of inner development through a special vocation 
but it was only the indispensability of the pilot to the mississippi river folk that had obliged them to give him such lordly freedom no special vocation was indispensable in nevada consequently no special vocation was tolerated there the pioneer law of which mr crowley speaks held absolute sway the man who persisted in one job interfered with the rough good fellowship which naturally arises among a group of men who submit good-naturedly and uncritically to current standards his higher standards and peculiar ways constituted an implied criticism upon the easy methods of his neighbors and he himself impaired the consistency of feeling upon which the pioneers rightly placed such a high value even if mark twain had been fully aware of the demands of his creative instinct therefore and he was anything but fully aware of them he could not have fulfilled them now and at the same time fulfilled his cravings for wealth and prestige accordingly he was obliged to acquiesce in the repression of his individuality his frank freedom of sentiment his love of reading his constant desire for privacy all those qualities that revealed his natural creative instinct were from the point of view of his comrades just so many pretensions precisely in so far as they were different or superior they had to be taken down the frequency and the force of these manifestations and the tenacity with which up to a certain point he persisted in indulging them made him as we know a general butt many and cruel to use his own word were the tricks his comrades played on him knowing his highly organized nervous system they devised the most complicated methods of torturing him there was the incident of the false meerschaum pipe which cut him to the quick this man who had been betrayed into uttering words of heartfelt gratitude there were the diabolical monkey tricks of steve gillis who with his fiendish tendency to mischief was always finding means to prevent him from reading there was the famous hold-up on the divide on the night of his lecture mark didn't see it our way said one of the perpetrators of this last practical joke he was mad clear through in short every revelation of his individuality was mercilessly ridiculed and mark twain was reminded a dozen times a day that his natural instincts and desires and tendencies were incompatible with pioneer life and fatal to the chances of any man who was pledged to succeed in it that is why though he always retaliated at first he always yielded in the end meanwhile with his creative instinct repressed his acquisitive instinct 
the race instinct that rose as the personal instinct fell was stimulated to the highest degree money was so easy in nevada that one could hardly think of anything else i met three friends one afternoon he says in roughing it who said they had been buying overman's stock at auction at eight dollars a foot one said if i would come up to his office he would give me fifteen feet another said he would add fifteen the third said he would do the same but i was going after an inquest and could not stop a few weeks afterward they sold all their overmen at six hundred dollars a foot and generously came around to tell me about it and also to urge me to accept of the next forty-five feet of it that people tried to force on me these are actual facts and i could make the list a long one and still confine myself strictly to the truth many a time friends gave me as much as twenty-five feet of stock that was selling at twenty-five dollars a foot and they thought no more of it than they would of offering a guest a cigar these were flush times indeed in short in order to stand in with pioneer society it was not enough to repress everything in you that made you different you had to form extravagant habits you had to treat money like water and you had to make it mark twain was not merely obliged to check his creative instinct he was obliged to do his level best to become a millionaire it is a significant fact under these circumstances that mark twain failed as a miner he had good luck now and then enough to make wealth a tantalizing possibility he describes though we are told with exaggeration how he was once a millionaire for ten days but he failed as a miner precisely because he was unable to bring to his new work any of those qualities that had made him so successful as a pilot concentration perseverance above all judgment these were the qualities that former career had given birth to the craftsman's life had instantly matured him the life of sheer exploitation in spite of his sense of duty in spite of the incentives of his environment in spite of the prospects of wealth and prestige it offered him could not fuse his spirit at all it only made him frantic and lax by turns he went off prospecting and with what result one week of this satisfied me he said i resigned then he flung himself into quartz mining the letters which went from the aurora miner to orion we are told are humanly documentary they are likely to be staccato in their movement they show nervous haste in their composition eagerness and suppressed excitement they are not always coherent they are seldom humorous 
except in a savage way they are often profane they are likely to be violent even the handwriting has a terse look the flourish of youth has gone out of it altogether they revealed the tense anxiety of the gambling mania then the pendulum swings to the other extreme he is utterly disgusted and has but one wish to give up everything and go away if sam had got that pocket said one of his comrades of his last exploit he would have remained a pocket miner to the end of his days but he would have got it if he had been able to bring to the situation any of the qualities he would have brought to a critical situation on the mississippi it is quite plain that he failed simply because he did not care enough about money merely as money to succeed his real self the artist in short could not develop and yet repressed as it was it prevented him from becoming wholeheartedly anything else we shall see this exhibited throughout the whole of mark twain's business life so here was mark twain face to face with a dilemma his unconscious desire was to be an artist but this implied an assertion of individuality that was a sin in the eyes of his mother and a shame in the eyes of society on the other hand society and his mother wanted him to be a businessman and for this he could not summon up the necessary powers in himself the eternal dilemma of every american writer it was the dilemma which as we shall see in the end mark twain solved by becoming a humorist only a few hints of the dumb conflict that was passing in mark twain's soul rise to the surface of mr paine's pages we are told scarcely more than that he was extremely moody he was the life of the camp one of his comrades recalled but sometimes there would come a reaction and he would hardly speak for a day or two constantly we find him going off alone into the wilderness to find his balance and to get away entirely from humankind there were other times when he talked little or not at all but sat in one corner and wrote wholly oblivious of his surroundings wrote letters his companions thought for they would hardly have left him in peace had they imagined he was writing anything else all this time plainly his creative instinct was endeavoring to establish itself with what mixed motives however we can see from the fact that he signed his first printed pieces with the pen name josh he did not care to sign his own name says mr paine he was a miner who was soon to be a magnet he had no desire to be known as a camp scribbler how much meaning there is in that sentence all the contempt and hostility of the pioneers for literature 
all mark twain's fear of public opinion all the force of his own counter impulse to succeed on pioneer terms to stand in with society to suppress in himself a desire that was so unpopular we can see these mixed motives in the strange realistic bravado with which he said to a man who wanted to start a literary magazine in virginia city you would succeed if anyone could but start a flower garden on the desert of sahara set up hoisting works on mount vesuvius for mining sulphur start a literary paper in virginia city hell nevertheless there was in virginia city a paper with some literary pretensions called the enterprise which was edited and written by a group of men famous all over the west for their wit and talent it was to the enterprise that mark twain had been sending his writings and at last he was offered a position on the staff this position he presently accepted it is significant however that he did so with profound reluctance assuming as we are obliged to assume that mark twain was a born writer it is natural to suppose that he would have welcomed any opportunity to exchange his uncongenial and futile life as a miner for a life of literary activities and associations he would naturally have gravitated toward such people as the enterprise group that he did so is proved by his constantly courting them as a contributor but committing himself by accepting their offer of a position was quite a different matter in spite of the fact that they as happy-go-lucky journalists were in perfectly good standing with the rest of the pioneers everybody had money everybody wanted to laugh and have a good time says mr paine the enterprise comstock to the backbone did what it could to help things along certainly mark twain could not have thought he would be losing caste by connecting himself with an institution like that there in short was his chance at last as one might suppose and how did he receive it in roughing it says mr paine we are led to believe that the author regarded this as a gift from heaven and accepted it straightway as a matter of fact he fasted and prayed a good while over the call and it was only when the money situation had become truly desperate and he had lost all hope of making his way as a miner that he accepted it before binding himself he set off at midnight alone and on foot for a seventy-mile walk through uninhabited country he had gone into the wilderness says mr paine to fight his battle alone and we are told that he came out again eight days later with his mind still undecided 
how different that all is from the mood in which he had entered upon his piloting career there had been no hesitation then he had walked forward with clear eye and sure foot like a man registering an inevitable choice of his whole soul now he has to battle with himself and the step he finally takes has to my sense the strangest air of a capitulation he walked all the way from aurora to virginia city a hundred and thirty miles drifting into the enterprise office worn and travel-stained we are told on a hot dusty august day my starboard leg seems to be unshipped he announced at the door i'd like about one hundred yards of line i think i am falling to pieces then he added my name is clemens and i've come to write for the paper it was says mr paine the master of the world's widest estate come to claim his kingdom am i mistaken however in feeling that there is something painful in that scene something shamefaced something that suggests not an acclamation but a surrender mr paine indeed perceives that in joining the staff of the enterprise mark twain was in some way transgressing his own desire he attributes this however to another motive than the one that seems to me dominant clemens he says displayed no desperate eagerness to break into literature even under those urgent conditions it meant the surrender of all hope in the mines the confession of another failure no doubt mark twain's masculine pride revolted against that he had more or less committed himself to mining he was turning his back besides on the line of activity his mother and his companions approved of he was relinquishing the possibility of some sudden dazzling stroke of fortune that might have bought his freedom once for all in short there were plenty of reasons dictated by his acquisitive instinct for making him reluctant to surrender the mining career in which he had proved himself so inept but although his acquisitive instinct had been stimulated to excess in his heart of hearts he was not a money-maker but an artist and the artist in him would naturally as i say have acclaimed this opportunity in order to understand his reluctance therefore we must consider not only the hopes he was giving up with his mining career but the character of that opportunity also somehow in this new call the creative instinct in mark twain not only failed to recognize its own but actually foresaw some element of danger what briefly did the enterprise mean for him he had been sending in his compositions 
he had been trying his hand experimenting we know in different styles and only his humor took he had written at last a burlesque report of a fourth of july oration which opened with the words i was sired by the great american eagle and foaled by a continental dam and it was this that had won the editor's heart and prompted him to offer clemens the position that said he is the sort of thing we want mark twain knew this he knew that although the policy of the enterprise was one of absolutely free speech he would be expected to cultivate that one vein alone and that his own craving for wealth and prestige the obligation to make money which would become all the more pressing if he relinquished the direct acquisitive path of the mining life would prevent him from crossing the editor's will or from cultivating any other vein than that which promised him the greatest popularity for him therefore the opportunity of the enterprise meant an obligation to become virtually a professional humorist and this alone had he wished to become a humorist we are now in a position to see he would not have displayed such reluctance in joining the enterprise and the fact that he displayed this reluctance shows us that in becoming a humorist he felt that in some way he was selling rather than fulfilling his own soul why this was so we cannot consider at present the time has not yet come to discuss the psychogenesis and the significance of mark twain's humor but that it was so we have ample evidence mr cable tells how to his amazement once when he and clemens were giving a public reading together the latter whom he had supposed happy and satisfied with his triumphant success turned to him on their way back to the hotel and said with a groan o oh, cable i am demeaning myself i am allowing myself to be a mere buffoon it's ghastly i can't endure it any longer and all the next day mr cable says he sedulously applied himself in spite of the immense applause that had greeted him to choosing selections for his next reading which would be justified not only as humor but as literature and art this is only one of many instances of mark twain's lifelong revolt against a role which he apparently felt had been thrust upon him it is enough to corroborate all our intuitions regarding the reluctance with which he accepted it but there is plenty of other evidence to corroborate these intuitions mr paine tells us that henceforth in his letters home the writer rarely speaks of his work at all and is more inclined to tell of the mining shares he has accumulated 
that there is no mention of his new title the pen name he had adopted and its success he knew that his severe calvinistic mother could hardly sympathize with his scribblings worthy or unworthy that she was much more concerned about the money he was making he who had sworn never to come home again until he was a rich man was ashamed in his mother's eyes to have adopted a career that promised him success indeed but a success incomparable with that of the mining magnate he had set out to be still that success immediately proved to be considerable and if he had felt any essential pride in his new work he would certainly have said something about it what we actually find him writing is this i cannot overcome my repugnance to telling what i am doing or what i expect to do or propose to do that he had no essential pride in this work that it was not personal that he did not think of it as a true expression of himself but rather as a commodity we can see from the motives with which he chose his pen name his letters copied and quoted all along the coast were unsigned says mr Payne they were easily identified with one another but not with a personality he realized that to build a reputation it was necessary to fasten it to an individuality a name he gave the matter a good deal of thought he did not consider the use of his own name the nom de plume was the fashion of the time he wanted something brief crisp definite unforgettable he tried over a good many combinations in his mind but none seemed convincing etc etc in short he wanted a trademark in order to sell what he instinctively regarded as his merchandise and the fact that the pen name was the fashion of the time in pioneer circles especially observe simply argues that all the other writers in the west were in a similar case the pen name was a form of protective coloration for men who could not risk in their own persons the odium of the literary life and it is an interesting coincidence that mark twain in the pilot's vocabulary implied safe water we shall see later how very significant this coincidence was in mark twain's life what we observe now is that he instinctively thought of his writing as something external to himself as something of which he was proud only because it paid End of chapter 4, part 1 Recording by Lucretia B.